Hey everybody, this is Pastor Dan Jackson with Jacob's Well Church. Due to the spread of the coronavirus, on Sunday, March 22, 2020, we started posting online video Sunday virtual church services. The audio you are about to listen to is taken from the video footage of one of those virtual church services. Our hope and prayer is that through this message, God would minister to you, draw you closer to himself, and strengthen you to live for his glory. To watch videos of our church services, or to connect to Jacob's Well Church, or to just get more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Good morning, Jacob's Well Church. Uh, my name is Dan. I'm the pastor. So glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, want to start with a few announcements. First off, thanks for praying for the elders as we see God's wisdom on how and when to restart corporate worship. Our game plan going forward, which may adjust and probably even will adjust as we gather more information, but our game plan for now is in June to start holding services in our parking lot. And so you can come to that in your car or you can also um, you could also sit in a lawn chair and that will be available for you. We'll be broadcasting through an FM transmitter and at least we'll be able to gather together in some form uh, to worship God together and to hear from the Lord. Uh, and then in July, our hope is to move into the sanctuary with a lot of precautions in place to make sure we're caring well for one another. And so that is our game plan for now. Again, hold it with an open hand because we're continuing to analyze the data and the feedback and the information we're getting uh, because we want to get together as quickly as possible, but also as safely as possible. And so that's our hope and prayer. And so continue to pray for us as we seek God's wisdom on that. So that's the only big announcement we have for you. Now for the kids' coloring assignment. Uh, today's coloring assignment is kids and, and adults who do the colorings as well, is I want you to get a piece of paper and divide it into four by drawing a line uh, across the middle and from top to bottom. So you'll have four quadrants on your paper. And in one quadrant of the paper, I want you to write out 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, which is in our sermon passage today, which says this, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Okay, so I want you to write that in one quadrant. In the other quadrant, I want you to write, uh, to, to draw a picture of some of your favorite things to do. As you can see, I have a basketball, a bike, a TV. Those are things I enjoy doing. In another square, I want you to draw a picture of your school day, of, of what it looks like for you to do school. If you're not old enough for school, then you can draw a picture of, of reading a book with your mom or dad. Um, or if you're older, you can draw a picture of yourself at work. And so do that in another quadrant, quadrant. And then in the final quadrant, I want you to draw a picture of your family and put their names above, above them as you, as you draw them. And also maybe put something in their hand that represents something they enjoy doing. So for example, for my son Corbin, he has a fishing rod. My daughter Carissa has a microphone because she enjoys to sing. My wife, a cup of coffee because she loves drinking coffee. And, uh, and Caleb a saw because he loves doing woodworking. And so draw something in their hand of something that they like. So the, that's your project for you. Um, if it's too much, feel free just to do one quadrant and, and the verse. That's fine as well. Uh, but when you, when you finish that, please take a picture of your drawing. Again, if you can take it landscape instead of portrait 
and post it on our Facebook page or email to me or text it to me. And I'd love to show them off next week. Right now, we are going to continue with the time of fellowship. And so enjoy these kids' pictures from last week's. Many of them are Mother's Day cards. Uh, Also, feel free to pause the video to stretch your legs, grab paper and crayons or a notebook to take notes, grab a Bible, and we will meet back here in one minute for the preaching of God's Word. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It will also be on the screen as well. I want to start with a question. A very important question, a question you probably ask yourself frequently. What is your calling in life? As a child, I was convinced I was called to be a professional athlete. But as I got into high school and was cut from every team that had cuts, I realized that this may not happen. And so my junior year of high school, I started feeling the pressure to find my real calling in life, to pick a career so I can pick a college and go into that for the rest of my life. And so as a junior in high school, I was convinced that my calling was to be a solar engineer. I wanted to find wise ways to use solar power to fuel the energy for mankind. And in order to do this, I needed to pay gobs of money and go to college in Colorado where they had one of the few solar engineering programs in the country. I was convinced this was my calling, at least for a few months, until I realized my grades weren't good enough and it was going to cost so much money, and I really wasn't that sure that I wanted to do it anyways. So I went two hours away to the University of Missouri, where I studied electrical engineering, another calling I was convinced of. After two years, realized I don't like electrical engineering, and so I switched to mechanical engineering, and I was convinced that was my calling. But after a year, I knew I didn't want to be a mechanical engineer. And so I switched degrees to interdisciplinary studies, which isn't a calling for anyone. It's basically a degree to graduate and go on to grad school. Well, after college, I went on staff with Young Life Ministry in Columbia, Missouri to pursue my calling there. But after two years, I realized that I wasn't supposed to be there anymore. And so I sensed God's calling to move up to northwestern Wisconsin to sell advertising. Again, I ended up hating it, and I was bad at it. And so after wrestling with God for a time, believed I was called to go to seminary and plant churches in Wisconsin that focused on the gospel and the Bible and spiritual intimacy. And so here I am. And so let me ask you, which of those were a calling from God? Were all of them a calling from God? Were any of them a calling from God? Or was just the last one a calling from God? Finding your calling can be tricky business, or it can feel that way. Sometimes it feels like you're trying to hit a moving target, doesn't it? And there's a lot of pressure to find your calling in life and then pursue it. Otherwise, you might waste your life. I have visited with many, many Christians who seem not to be able to figure out their calling in life, and it is absolutely painful for them. They have prayed to the Lord about what their calling is to be, and it's still unclear to them. And they wonder, am I doing this wrong? Am I not, am I not spiritual enough to understand what God's calling is for my life? What's going on? Is God silent? Is God cruel? Does God have this calling in my life that he's not telling me about? And so many times Christians get frustrated, they get angry, 
And they even start getting contemptuous towards God. Remember at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul started addressing issues and matters that the Corinthians church wrote to him about seeking godly advice about. Last week, it was about physical intimacy and marriage and divorce. This week, Paul is focusing on our calling as Christians. A question every person is asking, or at least should be asking. Now, as I read this passage, I actually have a little assignment for you. I want you to underline or highlight either physically, if you feel okay doing that. If you don't want to mark up your Bible, you can do it mentally. But I want you to highlight and underline the word call, called or call, okay? Can you do that as we read? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17 through 24. This is God's word. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come today to consider our calling, I'm so excited because I know this passage has so transformed my own view of calling and liberated me from the pressures and frustrations that I often feel when I'm trying to discern my calling or help others discern their calling. And so God, pray you would speak into our souls and into our hearts to give us the joy and freedom of the calling that you have on each of our lives in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. One of the best-selling books of all times is written by a pastor, and it's called The Purpose-Driven Life. Most of you, even if you're not a Christian, have probably heard of this book. And the reason why it's so popular is because everyone is trying to figure out their purpose in life. They're trying to figure out their God-given calling in life. Each and every one of us knows deep down inside that we were made for more than simply eating and drinking and being married. That we were not made simply to eke out an existence. We weren't made just to get out of bed in the morning, eat breakfast, go to work, come home from work, eat dinner, do some chores, watch TV, go to bed, and repeat. Deep down inside, we all know we were made for something greater. To have a grand 
purpose for our life, to be a part of a bigger story, the story of human redemption of the world. And because of this innate longing, the two questions each of us ponder are, what is my calling in life? And how do I find my calling? To be a part of a bigger, more wonderful story than our own. In today's passage of eight verses, did you see how many times Paul uses the word call? Called or calling? Eight times. And to be honest with you, like I had prayed, as I studied this passage, my understanding of calling has shifted tremendously and wonderfully. And so if you are wrestling with your calling or know someone who is, this is God's word for you and for them as you consider your calling and the calling of those that you minister to. So today, as we think about, as we consider our calling, I want to focus on two things. And the first is our secondary calling, okay? And the second is our primary calling. So we're doing it in reverse order. So first, our secondary calling. Second, our primary calling. And as we study these two things, what I think you'll find out is that, like me, many of us are confused over our primary calling and our secondary calling. And when we get them in the order that God has assigned, it is extremely liberating. Okay, so first, let's look at our secondary calling. All of our lives look very different, don't they? Some of us are men. Some of us are women. Some of us are children. Some of us are adults. Some of us are healthy. Some of us are sick. Some married, some single, divorced, widowed. Some of us are employed. Some of us are unemployed. Some of us are poor. Some of us are rich. For some of us, school comes very easy. For others, it is so very hard. Chances are there are probably certain circumstances in your life where you are tempted to feel sorry for yourself, where you're tempted to throw a pity party for yourself, where you say, only I can understand the pain and suffering I am going through. And so can I ask you, what is that circumstance in your life? What is that circumstance where you are tempted to feel sorry for yourself? That circumstance that if you could change it, you would. Verse 17 God says this, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Verse 17 tells us that whatever your circumstances are, whatever your lot in life, it is not a matter of bad luck or a distant God who lost track of you. Your circumstance has been assigned to you. By God himself. The word assigned here literally means to divide up, to separate into parts, and to distribute. I don't know about you, but I find this both comforting and challenging. It's comforting in knowing that whatever challenges I am going through right now, or whatever challenges may come my way in the future, it is no mistake. God has assigned it for my good and for his glory. But this truth is also challenging because I am so bent on looking at the hope of future circumstances that I can struggle 
to remember that my present circumstance is my present calling from God. You know, we spend so much time straining over figuring out what God's future calling is for us, either tomorrow or next year or five years from now. But Paul is saying, listen, your calling begins with right where you are today. And so whatever circumstance you are in right now, that is God's holy and ordained calling on your life right now. Do not minimize or look past the sacredness of your right now calling. You are not in a holding pattern waiting for your real calling. You are called to where you are right now. And so Paul continues to flush verse 17 out throughout the rest of this passage, and he addresses two circumstances that the Corinthians find themselves in and teaches them how to be faithful in their present circumstantial secondary calling. Okay, so the first present, circumstantial, secondary calling Paul focuses on is their situation. We have a calling situationally. Verse 18, he says, Was any at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the mark of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. You see, in Genesis chapter 17, near the beginning of the Bible, God calls Abraham and his wife and his family and his descendants to himself, and God creates a covenant with them. He promises to bless them and to bless the world through them. And the sign of God's covenant with his new covenant people is the sign of circumcision that is to be applied to any man and any male child born to them. And so in the Old Testament, when someone converted to Judaism— or when a son was born, they would be circumcised. That was the sign of God's covenant with them, marking them as a member of God's covenant community. Now, when we get to the New Testament, God's covenant of grace to God's covenant people receives a new sign. And so just as God takes the Passover meal from the Old Testament and turns it into the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, God takes the sacrament of circumcision from the Old Testament and transforms it into baptism into the New Testament to reflect how, God, how Christ's blood washes away our sin. There was a lot of confusion about this in the early church. And so Jews were proposing that when someone became a Christian, they needed to not only be baptized, but also circumcised. And Paul says, no, the sign of circumcision no longer counts for anything because it has been replaced by baptism. So if you're circumcised, stay circumcised. If you're uncircumcised, stay uncircumcised. You see, there was pressure both ways. There was pressure to get circumcised if you were not by the Jewish Christians who believed that if you were to be a faithful follower of the Lord God, you would not only be baptized, but also circumcised. But there was also cultural pressure the other way, to become uncircumcised if you already were. You see, there was a medical procedure offered in which some way, somehow, it could make a circumcised man seem uncircumcised. And men were doing this because Jews were minority in the culture, and just like any minority, there are certain disadvantages. And so men were reversing this procedure to fit in with the culture around them. And so just to summarize, when men became Christians, they tried to change their circumcision situation to try and fit in. 
Either they were tempted to become circumcised to fit in with the Christians, or they were tempted to become uncircumcised to fit in with the culture at large. And Paul says, listen, stay as you are in your situation of circumcision or uncircumcision. Now, applying this to our life is a little bit tricky because we don't have those same pressures around circumcision, but let me try. Soon after I became a Christian, I was really growing in my faith, and I was in a fraternity house, and it was so interesting to see people's responses when I told them I was in a fraternity house, when I would go to church or when I would go to my college ministry. They would respond, at least facially, in their face you could see the response of, what? You are a Christian in a fraternity house? How could that possibly be? You must not be a very serious Christian. And so I wondered, simply because of their skepticism, should I be in a fraternity house? Should I drop out of my fraternity house? I'm so thankful that I had a solid college ministry that I was involved in, and the pastor of that college ministry said, no, don't leave your fraternity house. Stay in the situation in which God has called you for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, don't get me wrong, there may be Christians that need to drop out of fraternity houses because certain temptations are too overwhelming for them. But to be honest with you, I was thriving in my faith in the midst of my fraternity house. I would bring guys from the fraternity house to the college ministry, to church. I had Bible studies going on in my fraternity house. I would talk to guys about Jesus, mostly at 2 a.m. when they had too much to drink, but I was talking to them about Jesus This was God's ordained, assigned situation that he had me in. And while I was tempted to just leave it when I became a Christian, to do so would have been a mistake. If you have recently become a Christian, what situations are you in that you are wondering if you should leave? Maybe you're in a hunting club or a knitting club or a neighborhood filled with non-Christians. Maybe your kids play on non-Christian sports teams or, or, or maybe your high school friend group is filled with non-Christians who have different values or maybe you work in a, in a workplace that is anything but Christian. Paul is saying your default should be to stay unless God gives you a secondary call to go elsewhere or unless it causes you to break God's commandments to stay. That's why in verse 19, Paul says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. This is our present secondary call, situationally. Paul uses the rest of the passage to talk about our present secondary call vocationally. In other words, the job that we do, our occupation. Verse 20 says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. This word bondservant can simply be translated slave. I think the ESV wisely translates it bondservant because when we think of slavery, we think of the horrible, oppressive, racist slavery from our own country's history. But in Paul's time in the Roman Empire, It wasn't quite that way. You see, slaves or bondservants were up to 50% of the population. And some of them were held high positions like doctors and lawyers. Furthermore, these slaves or bondservants would sometimes take on the last name of their master because they loved working for their master. 
Now, with that said, there were still some awful situations, and slaves would have an opportunity to work a second job or a third job and earn extra money to buy their freedom. Paul says, if you have that opportunity, go for it. Now, there's not an exact modern-day equivalent, but maybe this would be like today's blue-collar workers, people who worked under the authority of another. And in such situations, Paul would say, if you can get a promotion, if you can get into a job where there's more freedom, go for it. But also Paul is saying, just because you became a Christian and just because you believe maybe that Jesus is coming back soon does not mean that you should quit your nine to five job. You have commitments and responsibilities to your employer to provide for you and for your family, but also to God. You know, this past Sunday, as my community group was talking about this passage, one guy in our group shared that he, when he was growing up in the church, they would have all these traveling evangelists come through. And they would say something like, listen, if you are really dedicated to Jesus, if you're really dedicated to God, you'll quit your job and you'll go into full-time ministry. But what the Bible consistently tells us is that all occupations, as long as they're not immoral, all occupations are holy endeavors. Wherever you are working, that is your ministry. That's where you're called. And you minister to others, yes, by sharing the good news of Jesus, but you also simply minister to others by showing up, by working hard, by being ethical, by speaking godly wisdom into the situations at work. Being a construction worker for Jesus or a homemaker for Jesus, or a salesman for Jesus is no less a sacred and holy endeavor than being a pastor or a missionary for Jesus. The other thing I think is important to point out here is that when we talk about our vocational calling, we're usually describing an occupation that fits our passions and our gifts and our desires, right? Like, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a caregiver, but that was not the situation of many of the slaves that Paul was writing to. I mean, when you look at Paul's time and even slavery in our own country's history, how many of those slaves said, you know, I just really feel like God is pulling on my heart to pick cotton in 110 degree weather in poor work conditions. See, our secondary vocational calling is not necessarily the job you want. It's the job you have. Does that make sense? Your vocational calling for now is the job you are in, which means you can't miss your calling vocationally. Paul continues in verse 22. He says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was a free, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Paul is telling us that our identity is not determined by our job. This is something that most Americans don't understand. Typically in our culture, we identify someone by what they do. But what Paul says is, listen, your identity is not tied to your occupation. You may be a slave by occupation, but in Christ, you are a freed man and a freed woman. We are freed from the power of sin and the penalty of sin and the misery of sin. Furthermore, we are freed from the bonds of Satan. Now in Christ, we are not only free, but Paul says we are also slaves, slaves of Christ. You see, 
We have not only been freed from being slaves to sin and Satan, but we have also been freed to have the privilege to live as slaves of Christ, to live to promote his agenda and his glory instead of our own. Christian, regardless of your career or your acclaim, you are simultaneously free in Christ and a slave to Christ. Freed from the bondage of sin and Satan and freed to serve Jesus. You know, one of my favorite stories is a story about Abraham Lincoln. And I'm not sure how true it is, to be honest with you, but it really helps illustrate this point. One time, Abraham Lincoln went to a slave auction and he saw a beautiful young black woman come on the auction block. She was getting very high bids from men who had very devious and evil plans for her. Understanding these evil plans, Lincoln started bidding on this girl. And the bids went higher and higher and higher until finally Lincoln purchased the beautiful female slave. She came to him uncertain of what her new master would want with her. So Lincoln looked at her and he said, I've purchased your freedom. You're free to go. As Lincoln started to walk away, he noticed this girl was following him. And so he turned around and he said, listen, I I bought you. I bought your freedom. You're free. You can go anywhere you want and do anything you want. And he turned and he started to walk away. He noticed the girl was following him. And and so this, this process repeated. He would say, listen, I bought your freedom. You can go anywhere you want to go and do anything you want to do. And it happened time and time again. And finally, she spoke back to him and she said, so you say I can go wherever I want to go, right? And he says, yes, like she's starting to get it. And she said, okay, you said I can do whatever I want to do, right? And he goes, yes, you got it. And she said, well, I choose to follow and serve you. You see, in her freedom, she chose to follow and serve a master that was good and gracious and generous and loving, The reality is, all of us have a master. None of us are masterless. None of us are even masters of our own souls. Your master is whatever controls you, whatever you serve. It could be your job. It could be your boss, your consumers. Could be your family, your wealth, entertainment, romance, addictions. All of these are potential masters but there's only one good master. We've been freed from these horrible masters unto a gentle, wise, loving, gracious, and merciful Lord, Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is saying to us here. You have been freed by Christ from Satan and sin to become a slave to Christ. Now, how did this happen? How did he free us? Verse 23 says, You were bought with a price. Not only are you much less attractive than the slave girl, the price for your freedom was more than Lincoln could afford. Spiritually, you were nothing pretty or good. And yet God loved you. God purchased you. And the only price that could purchase you out of slavery to sin and Satan was the price of a perfect one, a holy one, a free one, one who could trade their freedom from Satan, sin, and death. 
The price was God's son, Jesus Christ, who died to pay the price to purchase you out of slavery and then rose again to give you new life. And so what does this have to do with your vocation, your job, your occupation? Verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become bond servants of men. Paul is saying, when you go to work, you may have an earthly boss, but don't forget who your ultimate boss is. Don't forget that you have a divine master. I don't know if you've seen this bumper sticker before. It is super cheesy, but it makes the point. And it says this, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. This is true for every Christian. Yes, you work for your human boss, but ultimately you work for a Trinitarian boss, the Lord God. And I don't know about you, but I constantly need this reminder that when I go into work in the morning, ultimately I'm not going to work for you. I'm not going to work for the elders. I'm not even going to work for myself. I'm going to work for a Jewish carpenter. And this does not make us worse employees. It actually makes us better employees, more contented employees, more peaceful employees. Because even when we are not working before the face of our worldly employer, we know that we are still working before the face of our heavenly master, which means we are less likely to cut corners or to steal or to slough off. So this is our secondary calling, situationally and vocationally to remain in the situation and vocation we are in, faithfully to our responsibilities in service to God until he frees us to go elsewhere. That's our secondary calling. But Paul also talks about our primary calling. Now, before we move on to dig into our primary calling, I don't know about you, but when I have talked about calling in the past, I'm typically talking about our secondary calling as as a vocation, right? Like, what is your calling? I'm called to be a, a pastor or a teacher or a homemaker. But this is a mistake. This is not our primary calling in life. And to be honest, confusing primary and secondary calling is very dangerous and is what leads to most of our frustration when we think about our calling. If you look closer at this passage, you will notice there is a calling that is underneath our situational and vocational calling. It is our primary calling. It is our foundational calling underneath all other callings. Look with me through these verses just quickly. Verse 18, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? And so Paul's saying, listen, your calling isn't to be circumcised, but you had a call when you were circumcised. Let him not seek to remove the mark of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Again, uncircumcision isn't their calling. The situation isn't their calling. They were called in the midst of their situation. Verse 20, each one of you should remain in the condition in which he was called. So we're not called to a condition primarily. Rather, we were called in the midst of a condition. Verse 21, were you a bondservant when called? In other words, again, not called to be a bondservant but called when you were a bondservant. Verse 22, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So brothers, whatever condition each was called, there let him remain 
with God. And so in all of these verses, talking about our situation and our vocation and our conditions, Paul is saying there is a calling underneath all of those callings. One that is far more important and far more foundational. A calling that doesn't change regardless of our situation or our vocation or our condition. And so understanding our primary calling is crucial because it is our primary calling, regardless of our secondary callings. And our primary calling is simply this. We are called to God. That's it. We are called to God, regardless of our situation, vocation, or condition. You are called to God by God. Now, let me break this down in two parts. First, our primary calling is to glorify God. We are called by God to glorify God. We have already talked about this earlier, kind of incognito, so this shouldn't take too long, but when you look at verse 19, Paul says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. And so what counts? What counts in our calling? What is our primary calling? It's not our situation. It's to obey the commandments of God, regardless of our vocation, regardless of our situation, regardless if we are blue collar or white collar, rich or poor, healthy or dying, in our dream job or a job that we detest. No matter your situation or vocation, your primary calling goes below these and is to live for God, to glorify God, to obey God right now, wherever you are. Again, verse 22, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Again, what is your primary calling? It's not to be a lawyer. It's not to be an accountant. It's to be a servant of the king of kings. Last chapter, Paul put it this way. He says, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our primary calling is to God, to obey God, to be slaves of God, and to seek to glorify God right now, regardless of your situation. Christian, this gives us tremendous freedom as we consider our secondary calling, our situations and vocations. So often we're so focused on those things like, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life vocationally? What job do you want me to have? These are secondary callings. But if we are focused on our primary calling to God, we have great freedom to pursue a secondary calling in whatever way we see fit, as long as it's obedient to God. Kevin DeYoung puts it this way. He says, And and thinking about calling, he says, so go marry someone, provided you're equally yoked and you actually like being with each other. Go get a job, provided it's not wicked, right? Obey God's commands is what counts. Go live somewhere in something with somebody or nobody, but put aside the passivity and the quest for complete fulfillment and the perfectionism and the preoccupation with the future. And for God's sake, start making some decisions in your life. Don't wait for the liver shiver. I love that. If you are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be in God's will. So just go out and do something. Kevin DeYoung goes on and he says, you know, if you make the goal of your life just to stay alive, you'll fail. 
But if you make the goal of your life the kingdom, you cannot lose. To, to quote our youth dude, David Steinbarger, he was speaking at graduation in 2019 and certainly where kids are considering their calling. And he gave this great message from God's word and, and it was summarized like this. He says, it does not matter so much what you do, but why you do it. So whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so just to recap, our primary calling is to God. And we do this by obeying God, serving God, and seeking to glorify God in all places at all times, every single day. Secondly, we are called by God to enjoy God. Verse 24 says, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain or abide with God. You see, before we can ever follow our calling to glorify God by obeying God in any and every situation, we must be first called by God. This is what theologians call effectual calling. And it is scattered throughout today's passage, but you also see in other places in Scripture. Now, now what is effectual calling? Well, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a, a, a systematic or topical summary of the Bible, says this. Question 31, what is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in the gospel. Now here's the thing. We shouldn't blindly accept confessions. They're written by men who are often in error. Scripture is our ultimate authority. So what does Scripture say about our effectual calling? Well, if you just turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, how Paul started this letter, in verse 9, he says, God is faithful by whom you were called. The, the faithful God is the one whom called you into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, that's called by God unto salvation, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We see a physical example of the calling of God in Matthew chapter 4. It says that Jesus was going on from where he was and he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, uh, in the boat of their father, mending their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. That is an effectual call. Romans 8.30 says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. John 10, 3, this is the final one I'll share with you. Jesus, as the good shepherd, says this, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Oz Guinness puts it this way. He says, calling means that everyone everywhere, and in everything fulfills his or her secondary calling in response to God's primary calling. 
You see, before we can fulfill our secondary callings of situations and vocations, and even before our primary calling to glorify God by obeying God, we must first be called by God in relationship to God. This means that if you are a Christian, it is because of God, according to his unstoppable, unrelenting, unfailable love that effectually called you from death to life, from damnation to salvation, from sinner to saint, from orphan to a child of the king. In summary, God effectually called you to himself. And now God has called you to enjoy him. I love this quote. It summarizes this so well. It says, we are not primarily called to do something or go somewhere. We are called to someone. If you can just memorize that first sentence, that is the summary of this sermon. We're not primarily called to do something or go somewhere. We are called to someone. We are not called first to special work, but to God. The key to answering the call is to be devoted to no one and to nothing above God himself. And so what is your primary calling? As one who has been called by God, to be a God chaser, a God follower, a God enjoyer. That's a word. There are many couples in our congregation who have adopted, which is such a beautiful picture of the gospel and of this passage. You know, in all of these situations, the child did not call out to the parents or did not choose the parents, but the parents chose the child and called for the child. They called this child to themselves and into their home. And while they are called to feed this child and instruct this child and discipline this child, above all else, they're simply called to the child to love the child and to enjoy the child. And in response, the child is called to honor and obey and love their parents. God calls us as orphans to be his kids to obey him, honor him, glorify him, love him, and to enjoy him, no matter our situation or vocation. And so I want to make sure I'm really clear here. Underneath your secondary calling of vocation and situation, there is a primary calling, which should be our main focus, which is to glorify God and to enjoy God, which the Westminster Shorter Catechism, in its very first question, summarizes for us. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to be a banker? Nope. A pastor? Nope. Homemaker? Nope. Man's chief end, chief calling, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let me end with this. If you want to do more research about this topic of calling, I have two books I would recommend to you. I've been quoting these authors throughout this Sermon. The first one is The Call by Oz Guinness, and the subtitle is Finding and Fulfilling the Central Purpose of Your Life. The second is Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung, and his subtitle is A Liberating Approach to Finding God's Will. And then I love this. He says, or how to make a decision without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, Etc. Okay, so if you want to think more about calling, I would endorse these two books for you. Here's my final thought 
at the beginning, I showed you my whiteboard drawing. Uh, you probably have your own by now, kids, and maybe some of the adults do as well. But as I look at all of these squares, I realize that they are a calling from God uh, to love and shepherd my family, to work hard and faithfully as your pastor, to play and have fun to the glory of God. All of these are callings from God that are, that are going to change. My kids will graduate and move out someday. I will retire from preaching or you will find me out and fire me. And less and less, I am able to move around and do the sports that I love. All of these callings are secondary callings that will fade away. But my primary calling, your primary calling, will never change. My calling by God and for God, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This primary calling must be our primary focus regardless of our situation because this primary calling will never, ever, ever, ever change. Not in this life and not in the life to come. Our primary calling will stay the same for the rest of eternity, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for how you have liberated me from the bondage of confusing primary and secondary calling, Lord, and the joy of following my primary calling, even when my secondary calling might feel fuzzy. And so, God, I pray that you would, you would help us to live out our primary calling, to glorify you in all that we do and to enjoy you. And that it may not be a future thing for us, but a present reality. We need your help. We are pretty unsatisfied people most of the time. And so help us, Lord, to find our joy and satisfaction in glorifying and enjoying you forever and for always. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now God's benediction from Jude chapter 1. To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And all God's people said, Amen.